Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will study tonight chapter 5 from the first letter of St. John. First, I will give summary to the chapter. St. John started this chapter by addressing how we show we love God, how we demonstrate our love for God. And then he explained how we can overcome the world and the temptation of the world. Then from verse 6 to 13, he explained to us about the witness of God, the witness of God. When he spoke about Jesus is the Son of God, he said, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God not only based on the witness of men, but also on the witness of God himself. And this gives us certainty that Jesus indeed is God who came in the flesh and also give us assurance about our eternal life and our, our inheritance in Christ of eternity. Then from verse 14 to 17, he spoke about prayer, especially when we pray for our brethren who sin not unto death. And I will explain what he meant by sinning unto death and sinning not unto death. Then he concluded the chapter from verse 18 to 21 by saying the sure knowledge found in the Son of God. The sure knowledge is found in the Son of God. Let's start verse by verse. Verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. St. John is saying, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, and by the way, the word Christ is a title, not name. The Christ means the chrismated one, the anointed one, the Messiah. So he is saying if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God who came in the flesh to redeem us and to save us, then you are indeed born of God. And if you are born of God, and you love God the Father, also you should love his children, which means you love your brethren, the believers, who are born of God too. Because everyone who loves him who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. So if you love God who begot, then you should love his children, the believers, who are born of God. So, when you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and you accept this belief in your heart, and you confess it by your mouth, and show it by obeying the commandment of God, then you are among the family of God. You are his son and his daughter. And if you love God who begets, also you should have natural affection toward his children, your brethren, the believers. Verse 2. By this we know that, that by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, 
and keep his commandment. So he is saying, our love for one another could be pure love or could be impure love. How we know that our love for one another is pure love, is the agape, not the eros, not the philia. How would we know this? St. John is telling us, by this we know that we love the children of God, the agape. When we love God and keep his commandments. As you know, the word love can be translated into agape or eros or philia. Eros is selfish love. Eros is selfish love. Receives only, does not give. Philia is mutual love. It is a conditional love. I love you if you love me, but if you don't love me, I will not love you. Eros is selfish love, receives only. Philia is mutual love, unconditional love. But agape, which is the highest form of love, is unconditional love, sacrificial, gives only, limitless, and also willful. It is the faculty of the will, not just emotional love. It's a decision and a choice you make, not feeling only you feel. So, St. John is saying, how do we know if we love our brethren this agape love, the sacrificial, the unconditional, the limitless, and the willful love? How would we know this? If we love God and we keep his commandment. So the proof that our love for one another is pure when we love God and also when we keep his commandments. And one of his commandments is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The Lord Jesus Christ, if you love me, keeps my commandments. He who loves me keeps his commandments. So he said, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So the only proof of our love toward God and our love toward one another when we keep the commandment of God. But maybe somebody will say, but his commandments are burdensome, are heavy. Yesterday I explained to you that the commandment of God is not heavy because we have the grace of God, the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said his commandments are not burdensome, which means now we can keep the commandment of God. Everybody can keep, every believer who is born of God can, can keep the commandments of God because he received the grace of the Holy Spirit. And his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now he is saying something else. If I am born of God, then I will have this agape love, the unconditional, sacrificial, willful, and limitless love. Not only that, but if I, I am born of God, then also I will be victorious in God. As the Lord told us, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Yes, in the world you will have many tribulations, but don't worry, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If I am his son, then as he overcame the world, I also can overcome the world in him. That's why he said, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Conquers whatever it can frighten the children of God from keeping his commandments. Any fear in my heart 
that frighten me or scares me that I am unable to keep the commandment of God, this fear is gone through our faith, our confidence in the grace of God. That's why he said, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. How can we overcome the world when we see that I can do all things in Jesus Christ who strengthens me? That's our faith in God. So victory is possible only if I believe and I have confidence in God that he is with me and he is supporting me by the grace of the Holy Spirit, then I am able to overcome and to, feel, to defeat the world through Jesus Christ and the grace of God who strengthens me. Then he said, Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is emphasis again. If you feel that you are defeated and you cannot overcome the world, then your faith, your confidence in God is shaken. That's why he said, who is he who overcomes the world? The answer, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but this is not a theoretical faith, you believe this in your heart, you confess it by your mouth, and you show it by obeying the commandment of God, then the good news is you can overcome the world. That is the victory, our faith. From verse 6, he now speaks about the faith, or our belief, or our doctrine, that Jesus is the Messiah, is not based on human witness only but based also on divine revelation, divine witness. Some people may argue and tell us, how would you know that Jesus is God? Maybe he is not the Messiah. Maybe he is not God. Maybe he is just a human being and you made him divine. St. John from verse 6 to 13 is answering this question. In verse 6 he said, this is he, this is in referring to Jesus. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. What does it mean? What he meant, what did he mean by he came by water and blood? The Lord Jesus Christ was revealed that he is the Son of God when he was baptized in the Jordan River, that is the water. You remember when he was baptized in Jordan River, the father witnessed and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on his head. So now there is witness of the, when he was baptized by the water, at the hand of John the Baptist. And this was the beginning of his ministry. And also, during his crucifixion, that's the witness of blood. He came by water and blood. When he died, what happened? Actually, the sun disappeared and there was darkness on earth. And also, when the centurion pierced or stabbed him in his side, water and blood gushed from his side. And before the crucifixion, the father witnessed on his son by saying, I have glorified and I will glorify. And when the son cried to the father and said, Father, in your hand, I submit my soul. The father immediately, instantly, answered the son and accepted his soul. Nobody can do this. 
So here is the witness, the divine witness. When Jesus came by water in baptism and by blood in crucifixion, the Father witnessed and the Holy Spirit witnessed that Jesus is God in the flesh. He said, this is he who came by water and blood Jesus Christ, not only by water. Not only by water, referring to St. John the Baptist. St. John came only by water, so we cannot say he is the Messiah. But Jesus came by water and blood, and the heaven testified that Jesus is the Son of God in his baptism and in his crucifixion. St. John telling us in his testimony that was recorded in John chapter 1 verse 31 that God sent him to baptize in order to testify that Jesus is the Messiah. So main mission of St. John the Baptist is to bear witness that Jesus is the Messiah. But how John bore witness, it's not a human witness, but John testified that he heard the voice of the Father and he saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on his head. This happened in the waters of Jordan, that Jesus Christ was manifested and anointed, chrismated by the Holy Spirit. So he is the chrismated one or the Christ. Also, the centurion witnessed that on the cross flowed water and blood from his side. That's why we also accept the water and the blood. The water in baptism and the blood in communion. When we are baptized, we are baptized into his death as St. Paul explains in Romans chapter 6, from verse 1 to 3. And in communion, we partake of his blood that was shed on the cross. Uh, John came baptizing only. That's why his baptism was not the baptism of the New Testament. The baptism that make us born again from God. But the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, the baptism of the New Testament, took its significance and its power from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. If Jesus did not die on the cross, then this baptism wouldn't have any effect or wouldn't be better than the baptism of John the Baptist. But what made the baptism of the New Testament more powerful and has the ability to uh, make us begotten of God because of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. That's why when the apostles found people were baptized only by the baptism of John. He told them, no, the baptism of John is not sufficient. And they baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because that is the baptism of the New Testament, which is uh, able to make us born again of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Who bears witness? The Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit bears witness? The Holy Spirit descended on the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And the apostle preached that Jesus is the Messiah. Also the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart. Also the Holy Spirit performed miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. So all this is 
the testimony of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the chrismated one. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. So if the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, then his testimony also is true. And if the Holy Spirit bore testimony about Jesus, that he is God, he is the Messiah, then this is a true testimony. Then Jesus indeed is the Son of God. Verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. After St. John spoke about the testimony of the Spirit, and he said he is the Spirit of the truth, and definitely his truth gave his witness such infallible authority. Now he is saying, we are, say, we are not confessing Jesus is God based on human testimony. We don't have only human witness, but we have divine witness, the witness of the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yes, these three are one, but each hypostasis testified about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father witnessed during the baptism of Jesus when he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Also witnessed on the day of transfiguration. Again he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Also he witnessed before his crucifixion when the Son said, Father glorify your Son. You read it in John chapter 12 from verse 28 to 30. And there was a voice like thunder from heaven and said, I have glorified and I will glorify. So here is the testimony of the Father. He testified about his Son. What about the testimony of the Word, the Logos, the Son himself? He witnessed by his words, by his teaching, by his miracles, by his life, and by his resurrection. So the Son testified about himself that he is the Messiah. And also we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. The testimony of the Holy Spirit is through the apostles, through the prophets, through the word of God, the Bible, the scripture, through the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and also the, the Holy Spirit who descended like tongues of fire on the apostles and gives them the power to preach that Jesus is the Son of God, that is the testimony of the Spirit. And these three, the Holy Trinity, the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, testified about Jesus is the chrismated one, the Messiah. So we have here a divine witness. So when we say we believe Jesus is God, this is not based on human witness only, but on divine witness. And as there are three who witness in heaven, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, we have on earth, there are, verse 8, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the, blood, and the blood. On earth we have three witnesses. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who is working in the church, in the sacraments of the church. And we have the water, the baptism, because in baptism we die with Christ and we rise with Christ. And also we have the blood, blood of Jesus every week, every day, sorry, on the altar, given for salvation, eternal life, and forgiveness of sin. And these three things, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, agree on one truth, one fact. What is this fact? That Jesus is the Son of God, and who are His children. 
That's why the Lord told us, every time you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you will confess my death, confess my resurrection, and remember me till I come. That's why St. John said, and these three agree as one. The spirit, the baptism, and the communion agree as one person that we are the children of God and Jesus is the Son of God. When we are baptized and we become adopted and we feel the grace of the Holy Spirit in us and when we take communion and we are forgiven and we feel the power of His resurrection in us and this is the work of the Spirit so these three, the water, baptism and communion agree as one. On what? Agree as one that Jesus is the Son of God and we are His children. Uh, verse 9 if we receive the witness of men the witness of God is greater yes there are some human beings who testified that Jesus is the son of God like Nathaniel Nathaniel when he saw the Lord Jesus he told him you are the son of God but St. John is saying yes we have the human testimony we have the witness of men but the witness of God is greater. Uh, so now we know for sure as a fact that Jesus is God in the flesh. We know this because not only of the testimony of men, but because of the greater testimony of God himself. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son. God testified about his son Jesus Christ that he is our Savior and our Messiah. Uh, verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. He is saying now the world is divided into believers and non-believers. Those who believe the witness of God, that Jesus is God, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the chrismated one, if we believe, then I have this witness in my heart. How? Because when I believed in Jesus and when I obeyed his commandment, my life was transformed. My life was changed. My heart is changed. Like St. Paul, when he believed in Jesus, his life was changed. St. Augustine, St. Moses the Black, St. Mary of Egypt, all these people, their life were transformed by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in his heart because his heart is transformed and changed. What about the non-believers? The non-believers, not only their hearts and their life did not change, but also by not believing God, as if they are saying God is a liar. So those who didn't, did not believe made God a liar, because they rejected his witness that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. When, why God testified to us that Jesus is His Son? Why? What is the purpose of all of this? Why God sent His Son we will celebrate the Feast of Nativity after one week. Why God sent His Son to the world? Because when we believe in His Son and we abide in His Son, we will have eternal life. That is the main goal, the main aim behind sending His Son to our earth in order to give us eternal life. That's why He said, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. But this eternal life is given through whom? Through Jesus Christ. 
So if we believe God, and we believe that, that Jesus is the Messiah, then we'll have eternal life. But if we do not believe God, and we do not accept Jesus, then we'll not have eternal life. That's why he said in verse 12, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God doesn't have life. As simple as that. And I cannot blame God for this. I rejected his testimony. I rejected his son. And based on this rejection, I'm speaking about the non-believers, they will not have life. If you want to have eternal life, then you need to accept the son. But if you reject the son, you are, you are also choosing to reject the eternal life with him. He who has the son abiding in him through baptism and communion has this life. But he who does not have the Son of God has no part or no inheritance therein. Verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now he is explaining why he is writing to us about the witness of God, about who are born of God, about we have eternal life. What is the goal? What is the purpose of writing to us this letter? Now he's explaining. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So, we were exiled from the paradise of joy when Adam and Eve sinned. But now, God sent his Son to the world in order to give us eternal life. And now John is writing to us to tell us, you have eternal life, accept the Son, abide in Him, and let Him abide in you, and then you will have eternal life. That is the, the purpose of his letter. I am writing to you to show you your privileges, to show you that if you believe in the Son of God, then you will have eternal life. You will be glorified with Jesus in eternal life. Uh, so it is not a theoretical doctrine it's not just I believe that Jesus is God it's not just a blind confidence but it is actual enjoyment of salvation by Christ living, working and reigning in our heart when I accept the Son then the Lord will live in my heart will work in my heart will reign in my heart and thus, I will inherit the eternal life. And I will enjoy this free gift of salvation. So, he wrote to us that we know we have eternal life. Not only that, but he continued and says, And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Some people started to believe, but then they fell away. St. John is encouraging us not only to believe, but to continue to believe to the end. That's why he said, even now you already believe, but you need to continue and you grow in faith in order to have eternal life. That's why he told them, I'm writing you that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So when he comes in his second coming, he will find us ready and he will take us with him on the clouds to eternal life. Verse 14. So now he started by, yeah, this chapter by telling us, if we are children of God, then number one, we should have this love in our hearts. And number two, we should know that we will inherit the eternal life. Number three, we are victorious in him. Number four, our prayers will be heard. These are our privileges. The first privilege, we, are the, we, we have the love of God in our heart. Number two, we are victorious in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, we will have eternal life. Number four, we are the children of God. When we speak to him, definitely he will hear us. 
He's our father. That's why in verse 14 he told us, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If your son or daughter comes to you asking you something, definitely you will give it to them. In the same way, our Heavenly Father, when we ask him something according to his will, something good, because sometimes if your son or daughter comes to you asking something will hurt them, you will not give it to them because you love them. In the same way, when we go to God asking something according to his will, we are confident that he will give it to us. He will answer our prayer. So, we need to ask according to his will and he will answer our prayers. He hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked it of him. He hears us with open heart, with open ear. And we know that whatever we ask, it will be granted. As long as according to his will. Whatever we ask, he will grant it to us. But if we ask something wrong, he will not give it to us because he loves us. If we ask something that will hurt me, he will not give it to me because he loves me. What about repentance? What about salvation? Definitely, that is, as we read in the Bible, he does not wish the death of the sinner, but rather that he returns and lives. So if I find my brother sinning, committing a sin, and I ask God to accept his repentance, do you think God will hear me or not? Definitely will hear me. And we practice this in the sacrament of confession. When we go and confess our sins, and Abuna asks God to forgive this person, this person is forgiven. Immediately, God forgives him. Because that is the will of God. He does not desire the death of the sinner, but rather that he returns and lives. That's why St. John said in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. So he is saying, if you see your brother overtaken by sin, you need to pray to him. You need to pray for him, not to judge him. Pray for him, not to judge him. And if you pray and ask God to forgive your brother, then he will be forgiven. But St. John is differentiating between sin unto death and sin leads to death. Again, verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. What is the difference between sin leading to death and sin does not lead to death? We know that the wages of sin is death. So any sin leads to death. But thanks be to God that he gave us repentance. And through repentance, the sentence of death is removed. So, how can we define the sin that leads to death? The sin that leads to death is the sin that has no repentance. Sin that leads to death is the sin that has no repentance. So when he said there is a sin leading to death, he means sin without repentance. Like what? Like, for example, suicide. Those who commit suicide, they don't have opportunity to repent. That's why this sin leading to death. And St. John instructs us clearly that I do not say 
that he should pray about that. So we are instructed by St. John not to pray about this sin that leads to death. That's why we don't pray over people who committed suicide. The sin unto death is when the person dies in his sin with no chance for repentance. And we are instructed not to pray about this. But just I want to clarify something. If a person was mentally disturbed and he committed suicide because his mental ability and mental judgment is not 100% accurate, in such situation we can pray over this person. But if a person is mentally able and his judgment is 100% perfect, if he committed suicide, we cannot pray for him. Because we are instructed not to pray about this, as he said in verse 16, uh, there is a sin, there is sin leading to this. I do not say that he should pray about that. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to this. All wrongdoing is sin, but when we repent, then our sins can be forgiven. But if the soul sets itself against God and against his righteousness, that is sin unto death. Those who rejected Jesus, those who did not believe him, those who denied him and died in their rejection to Christ, that's also sin to death. So when a person rejected Christ and his righteousness to the end, this is also sin unto death. That's why we don't pray over the unbelievers. If a person is unbeliever, we cannot pray over him. Because such a soul repels Christ who is our life. Verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has, born, who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. This verse is one of the most difficult verses in the scripture. Because he says, whoever is born of God does not sin. All of us who are born of God in baptism, but we still commit sins. How can we understand this verse? We can understand it in two ways. The first way he means here, he who know, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin unto death. Does not sin unto death. Means what? Whoever is born of God does not live a life of sin. He will not sin unto death. Yes, he may be overtaken in a sin, but he will repent. And the believers keep themselves by uh, putting on the whole armor of God and protecting themselves against sin and against the attacks of Satan. And in this way, the wicked one, Satan, cannot hurt us, cannot touch us. So when he said, whoever is born of God does not sin, means even if he is overtaken by sin, he will repent. Even if he is overtaken by sin, he will repent. So at any moment, God will see him as righteous, as pure. Not because he did not sin, but because he washed his sins in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he keeps himself by putting on the armor of God, the wicked one cannot touch him, cannot approach him. But also there is another explanation of this verse. Here on earth, we received the pledge of sonship. We cannot say we are fully born of God, 
if you read Romans chapter 8, St. Paul is speaking about we are waiting eagerly for adoption. And he said this adoption will happen in the resurrection of the bodies. Which means now we receive the pledge of adoption. But when we go to heaven, we will be fully adopted. And when we go to heaven, we cannot sin. And the wicked one cannot touch us. So now he is not speaking about here on earth. Because on earth we are not fully adopted. We just receive the pledge of adoption. We are betrothed, nor not yet married. Jesus is our bridegroom. And here we are betrothed only. But the consummation of marriage, when Jesus comes in his second coming, and through the consummation of this marriage, we will be the children of God. We will be fully adopted. And only then we cannot sin, and the wicked one cannot touch us. Verse 19. We know that we are of God, we are the children of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So, we know that here, the believers in the church are the children of God. We are his body, we are his temple. God dwells in us. But around us, the world under the sway of the wicked one. That's why the world is full of wickedness. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. So, he's saying we are the children of God. And God came and born and became man to give us this understanding. Which understanding? To understand that Jesus is the Messiah, is the chrismated one. And as he explained, we believe this not only based on human witness, but also on the divine witness. So we know that this is true. So if we are abiding in him, we are abiding in the truth. And if we abide in the truth, then actually we will inherit the eternal life. So, that is our faith, that God came in the flesh to give us eternal life. And we know this not only by the witness of men, but by God's witness. And God gave us this understanding to know the true God, to know the true knowledge of God, and not to be deceived by false gods. There are many religions around us. And every religion claim that they are the true religion. But there is no, no, there is no single religion that has the testimony of God that Christianity, like Christianity. That's why all these religions are false. The only true religion is Christianity because we have the divine witness. That's why St. John is telling us, I don't want you to be deceived by false gods. If you want to have life, eternal life, this is only in Christ. That's why if you dwell in Christ and Christ dwells in you, you will have eternal life. We know that the Son of God has come. Why he came? In order to give us this understanding that we may know him. We know God through Jesus. We will know God the Father through Jesus. And we are in him who are abiding in Jesus who is true. In his son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. You cannot separate Jesus from eternal life. If you abide in him, you will have eternal life. If you don't abide in him, you will not have eternal life. That's why he concluded the last verse in this chapter by saying, Little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from false gods. Keep yourself from anything distracting you from worshipping the true God. Because in Jesus Christ, the true God is revealed to us. And in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. That's why you need to keep yourself away 
from all false gods, whether it is materialism, with its pleasures of the world, with our ego, with any other religion, anything that will take your worship away from the true God, keep yourself away from it. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Have any comments or questions about this chapter? Clear? Yes. His question is saying, John the Baptist baptized by water only. And he said that he who comes after me baptized uh, through water and spirit. And he is saying, we read in John chapter 4, that Jesus baptized himself in John chapter 3. And his disciples also baptized. But this baptism happened before his salvation before his crucifixion. So, can we say that is, this baptism is different than the baptism of John or similar? I think this question, uh, the, the problem or the issue with this question is that we put God under time. But if we know that God above time, then actually we cannot say this happened before or after. Let me tell you. How the Lord on Holy Thursday, Covenant Thursday, gave his body and his blood to the disciples before he dies on the cross. You should understand that God is outside the realm of time. He is the creator of time. So, Whatever he does, he does it in the present. There is no past or future, because God is above time. We, because we are under time, that's why we have this linear thinking, before and after. But for God himself, his works are above the time, outside the realm of time. Otherwise, how can in divine liturgy right now. We say this is the body that our Lord Jesus Christ took from our Lady St. Mary. How? How we go back 2,000 years in time? Because this is a divine work outside the realm of time. So when we speak about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot say it happened after and before. He's above the time. He's the creator of time. That's why he was able to give his body and his blood one day before his death on the cross. That's why he was able to baptize before he shed his blood on the cross. Before and after, this is our terminology. But for him, all his work outside and above the realm of time. Clear? Let's speak from the microphone, Ashan Islam. So these people who were baptized by Lord Christ, had gained their salvation before. Yeah, it, it is true baptism. Definitely, it's true baptism. And to take care, Ehman the priest of the New Testament, we baptize the baptism of the New Testament, and Jesus Himself, His baptism is not the baptism of the New Testament. It does not make sense, of course. Yes, it's true baptism. Yes. Um, in, in, the, yeah, in verse uh, 16, where it says there is sin leading to death. And then back in uh, verse 18 where it says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Um, I'm thinking about Judas. Can we, can we say that he was born of God or not? About Judah? Judah. Yehuda. Yehuda. Yeah. Uh, Yehuda, yes. Judah accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. But his problem when he sinned did not repent. Judah perished not because he uh, betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas 
perished because he did not repent. And he committed suicide and killed himself. Okay, but that means that there is a chance of, of not making it even if you are born of God. Does that make sense? Today? If you, if whoever is born of God. Uh, so the soul, whoever is born of God did not sin? Yeah. Yes. Some people are born of God, but later on they reject this sonship. Okay. You know, they they have to me falling away or apostasy. A person who believes in God, born of God, but later on in his life he rejects the Son of God. When I clipped him, I answered this question when I said, uh, We have the pledge only here, but the full adoption when we go to heaven, we don't have full adoption, we are betrothed here. But the full adoption, let me explain what I mean by betrothed, uh, because I said it quickly. I, I will explain it in detail. By nature, we are servants, we are not children of God. Right? God, the Father, has one Son, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Son came to the world as bridegroom to marry us. If we get into this marriage, then our status will change from servant to children. Like if there is a maid and the son of the king decided to, to marry this servant. Now her status will change from just maid into what? Daughter-in-law. But the marriage goes through steps. Betrothal, which like engagement, and then the consummation of marriage, which is the wedding. During the, the, betrothal, uh, the betrothal period, you know, there is a pledge, promise, that when the marriage will be consummated, this girl will be fully adopted, will be daughter, in, indeed daughter and eligible for inheritance. Right? So now we are in betrothal. As St. Paul said, I betrothed you. But when the wedding, we read in, in the book of Revelation about the wedding of the Lamb of God. So the wedding when Jesus comes on the cloud, that's the wedding. And when we are wed with our bridegroom, that is the full adoption. And here, the wicked one cannot touch us. And we cannot sin. So this verse, as I said, is speaking about our status in heaven because we'll be fully adopted. But now in, in, in engagement period, anybody can revoke the engagement, can break the engagement. So maybe somebody accepted the proposal of the Lord Jesus Christ as a bridegroom and later on they broke this. But when the marriage is consummated, when the wedding happened and the two shall become one, then there is no uh, divorce, there is no breaking of this marriage and then the wicked one cannot teach, uh, touch us and we cannot sin. Clear now? Good. Any other questions? Yes. Do we say, do we say the Holy Trinity incarnate or just the hypostasis? Do we say, do we say the Holy Trinity incarnate or do we say hypostasis um, logos incarnate? No, 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 no. We cannot say the Holy Trinity incarnate. Only the hypostasis of the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the second hypostasis. Son became man. The, the Word became man, as we read in John in chapter 1. But the Father did not incarnate. The, son, the Holy Spirit did not incarnate. But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. Well, can... Well, my, okay, then the problem is... Can they divide? I mean, I thought when, if we just incarnate the word of, G of, of word of God, then that means the the hypostasis, uh, the the Father or the Holy Spirit did not incarnate. So, but I thought Jesus Christ also had the Holy Spirit in him. So, did the Holy Spirit was in Jesus Christ or wasn't in Jesus Christ?
Just let me start by saying this is a great mystery. And as Saint Paul spoke in his letter to Timothy, great is the mystery of incarnation. God appeared in the flesh. So because it's mystery, it is beyond our understanding. Like, and we'll try to explain it. The sun, S-U-N, and the heat and the light, these three are one, right? But maybe the sun ray enters into, uh, into the room and you can see, uh, see it. But because, uh, this doesn't mean it was separated from the heat or the light, although you cannot see the heat and the light. So the hypostasis of the sun, the logos, the word, became man. You know? But while he became man, he's still in the Father and in the Holy Spirit, and the three are one. We cannot separate them. But who took the form of man? Who became man? Who took flesh? It is the Son. Like your mind and your body and your spirit. When you write a letter, your, your mind now incarnated into a word that people can see it and can touch and can carry it. You know? I, can I say that your body incarnated into, into this letter? No. Can I say your spirit? No, it's your mind. It is the idea in your mind. But can I separate these words that are written from you as a whole? No. You understand what I'm saying? So we cannot say the Holy Trinity incarnated. No. Only the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, became man, but the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. When we, say the, when we say the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when we say the Son, do we mean Jesus Christ or do we mean the second hypostasis? The Son, Jesus Christ is the Son. But when we use the term Jesus Christ, we are referring to the Son who became man in the fullness of time. For example, I cannot use the word Jesus Christ about the Son in the Old Testament. Because uh, Jesus Christ is Son who came in the flesh. So, when I speak in the Old Testament, I speak about the Son. But in the fullness of time, this Son took flesh. So, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ has a beginning. But His divinity is eternal with the Father. His humanity has a beginning. When He was conceived in the womb of St. Mary, His humanity. But His divinity is eternal. Any other questions or comments? Yes. Was John the baptism baptized or no? And if so, who did it? Was baptized? Yes. John the baptist uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit, as you heard in the Gospel of today, uh, when Saint Mary visited uh, Saint uh, uh, Elizabeth. And, and so he didn't need. He didn't need to be. He baptized. was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and also John the Baptist died before the crucifixion. So like all the, the prophets of the Old Testament, like uh, uh, Moses, like Aaron, like Daniel, like Jeremiah, and actually he went to Hades, and he stayed in Hades until the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, and then he opened the paradise and uh, went to the paradise. We are fully adopted when we got, uh, go live with God, eternal life. What about through communion? Are we still servants, not fully adopted? I, as I'm saying, we have here the pledge. The pledge. Uh, let me add something about what I explained. There are three steps in, in marriage. Engagement, betrothal, and uh, wedding. Engagement is like a promise. Betrothal is like a civil marriage. 
but the consummation of marriage, that is a wedding. So, when a person hears about the Lord Jesus Christ and accepts him in his heart, he accepts the proposal, like a girl accepts the proposal of her fiancé. When we are baptized and we take communion, it's like the betrothal, like a civil marriage. But the consummation of marriage, the full adoption, is in the uh, wedding. And the Bible is very clear the wedding will be in the second coming of Christ. That's why St. Paul, he did not say you were married. He said, I betrothed you. So we now we moved into the second step, which is the betrothal. But the third step, which is the consummation of marriage, this will happen in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any more questions? Glory be to God forever and ever and ever. O King of Peace, grant us your peace, establish for us your peace, forgive us our sins, for yours is the power, glory, blessing, and majesty forever. Amen. O Lord, make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Christ Jesus, our Lord, for them the kingdom, the power and glory forever. Amen. Now, love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, communion gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace, may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Kulisana on today.